Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Happy Wednesday, Mr. Jones. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Happy Wednesday to you and our listeners as well. Mid-July, it's the doldrums of summer, Keith, but we have big news. We don't know exactly what that news is, but we do have news to share with our listeners, which is (laughs) while we're not going anywhere, broadly speaking, we are going somewhere. We just don't know those specifics yet. Is that a fair way to put that? As many may have heard, there's going to be a a format change at uh, the station, and uh, appropriately, we are going to be relocating. Uh, As we get a little closer to the time and the date, we will make a big hullabaloo out of it, but uh, never fear. You'll, uh, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, still be able to tune in to Front Row Knowles. Which means that for the time being, Front Row Knowles is in the transfer portal. We are exploring our options. Uh, That's correct. We're, we're taking a lot of phone calls. Different coaches are checking in. Uh, we're just weighing our options. We might take some visits, but I think early August uh, will be decision day. Uh, probably August fourth, actually, which is a Wednesday. We'll call that decision day, and we'll have our big news then. And uh, I would remind our listeners that I will be uh, entering the transfer portal as a graduate transfer, while Mr. Block will be entering the transfer portal with uh, two additional years of eligibility remaining. And the key, though, is that in light of the way the college landscape has changed, we will both be immediately eligible. And so you won't have to wait until next season to hear the show. We will continue. So more news to come on that uh, in all seriousness, folks. So uh, as you know, 97.9 ESPN Tallahassee is uh, changing owners, flipping formats here in the the next few weeks. And uh, so Keith and I will be relocating, and we'll have details on that uh, to come soon. Speaking of transfer portal and eligibility and all that type stuff, several Florida State newcomers met the media earlier today, including one Dylan Gibbons, who we introduced our audience to last week. Bob Ferrante will join us next segment, and we'll get uh, a a recap, uh, sort of a synopsis of that conversation. I did see where Dylan Gibbons indicated that over 75 coaches reached out to him when he went in the transfer portal. Wow. Which speaks to to one of two things, probably in the middle here, Keith. Either A – He's one heck of an offensive lineman, or B, there's not many offensive linemen in the portal. Either <laughs> the way, need is great. Yeah, the need is great. Either and, and yeah, and C, lots of teams need offensive linemen. But uh, that that was one thing. And he did indicate that in his case, and he probably shared some of this last week with our listeners, getting closer to home. Uh, he's from the Tampa St. Pete area, so that his family can 
more easily and more affordably get to his home games was a big consideration. Very much so. Very much so. Very well-spoken. Uh, graduate uh, is actually going to be entering Florida State's MBA program and working on a, a second degree. Uh, and I enjoyed getting to meet him. I look forward to uh, seeing him on the, on the field. ACC kickoff one week from today. That's when we really get dialed into football season, if you will, Keith. And the big news, again, it's the doldrums of summer. So it makes news when three names are listed, and that's who FSU is going to take to ACC kickoff. But Mike Norvell not shying away from just fanning the flames of a quarterback battle because he's bringing Mackenzie Milton and Jordan Travis. And if you're going to bring two quarterbacks when you don't have a definitive starter, those stories have already written themselves. Insert quote from quarterback A, insert quote from quarterback B. It'll be settled in August, the decision to come probably a week before the Notre Dame game. The thing that struck me as interesting uh, for the three individuals that were chosen and all uh, very deserving so, um, and FSU will be well represented uh, at the ACC kickoff meetings, but none of these kids were recruited out of high school by Norvell. Now, I understand he's only had one recruiting class, but that struck me as, as different. And two of the three did not sign with Florida State out of high school at all. They are transfers. I'm not negatively commenting. I'm just saying that is the landscape that we are dealing with today. Well, and to correct you, Keith, Jordan Travis transferred in too. So all three. I apologize. You are. Yes. Yes. Thank you. You, you have appropriately corrected me. All three of them. That is true. Thank you. A couple things there. It speaks to, these are his guys. He's putting his guys out there. Uh, it speaks to maybe they're more, they're, they're the more important guys compared to other guys on the roster. Uh, it also means that you don't have to go down the road, generally speaking, except for with Jordan, about, well, why did the team play so poorly last year in October? Or what was wrong with the defense last year? Because Jermaine Johnson can just simply say, I wasn't there. It wasn't me. Let's talk about this year. So <laughs> I do think I, I relayed this anecdote. Well, it's not an anecdote. It actually happened, uh, and I participated in it. But years ago, Keith, and I had the, the, the date slightly wrong, but it was 98-99. Florida University of Florida's quarterbacks were Doug Johnson and Jesse Palmer and Palmer had gotten hurt. And so there was a little bit of a quarterback question there, which who's going to be the starter. And in those days I would go down to Gainesville quite frequently on Tuesdays when they held media day. Right. And of course the media would want to ask the question, who's going to be the starting quarterback and just fan those flames. And so the old ball coach, he wouldn't bring either quarterback to media day Matter of fact, the only person he brought that you could even associate with offense at all was the Gator place kicker, Jeff Chandler. And what in the world is the place kicker going to say about the quarterback battle? And that went on for several weeks. So the old ball coach went the opposite way. He wasn't going to let you ask anybody on his offense about who should be the quarterback. Meanwhile, Mike Norvell's going the other way. He's just putting both quarterbacks in front of the media and have at it. Uh, a, a, the times have changed, and B, there's nobody that does it the way Spurrier did it, so it would have to be different. Is it? Well, we passed the statute of limitations where I can actually say I miss Spurrier and some of his barbs now. It was always more enjoyable to me once those barbs were directed at Clemson because he was at South Carolina and they were no longer directed at Tallahassee and FSU. Uh, yes, I, I would say the statute of limitations is gone. And I, I'll tell you an interesting little sidebar. 
uh, I had the privilege of being on a, a, a podcast call uh, with my good friend Bobby Butler out of Atlanta. And uh, both Reggie Herring and Rick Stocksteel were, were on that call. They were both teammates of mine, uh, members of my class. And both of them worked at Clemson. And I had forgotten that Stocksteel had actually worked for Spurrier at South Carolina. And I remember way back when I made some kind of comment about I didn't really care for Spurrier. And Stocksteel looked at me and he says, you got it all wrong. I said, what are you talking about? He says, the way to measure a head coach is his family life and how he treats his assistants. And, and Steve has been married. I don't, I don't recall his wife's name at the time, but they've been married 40-something years. And Stocksteel and Herring both said, uh, Stocksteel in particular because he worked for him, but Herring by reputation said that within the assistant coaches community, the assistant coaches that worked for Spurrier enjoyed working for him. And he, he corrected me, Tommy. He said, uh, that's the way to uh, – you, you can be upset with these barbs and everything, but understand that he is very well respected as a head coach. Well, before we alienate our uh, audience, Keith, we're not going to talk too, more glow, too much more glowingly about Spurrier. I think what I miss most uh, is really the 90s and the Spurrier-Bowden Florida FSU days from then. But we'll table that for now. Uh, coach Sue Semrau is going to join us here in our next segment. She was away from her program for the last year to be with her mom, who was battling cancer. She's back. Look forward to that conversation and catching up with Coach Sue. I'll remind our listeners that, especially with the weather we've had this week, you should get out to the golf club at Summerbrook. Set a tee time, 894-4653 Wednesdays. There's a student special, 25 bucks for 18 holes. Includes your cart, a couple of beers. They've got a lighted driving range. That is the golf club at Summerbrook, 894-4653. We'll step aside, come back with Coach Sue right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to an old friend, a longtime friend of ours, and more importantly, uh, a bright smiling face for Florida State University and for women's basketball, head coach Sue Semrau. Hey coach, how are you? Uh, so good to be back and so good to, to be on the show with you guys. I'm doing great. It is good to hear your voice. Keith just commented on that before we started and you know, it was a year leave of absence, and, and you obviously had some, some personal matters you were tending to with your, with your mom, and we'll discuss that. But uh, last year was a tough year for everybody all the way around. So, so I guess as it relates to you and the decision to take that leave of absence and to be with your mom, uh, who, who, by the way, there's a good prognosis there. Just, just fill our listeners in on, on what that experience was like to spend quality time with your mom and to know that the prognosis is good. Well, I've said before that uh, it's the best decision I've probably ever made. Uh, it was a very, very difficult decision because you didn't know what was going to go on with COVID. And so when you've got um, a parent who's 
literally corner to corner across the country and trying to imagine what she's going through and trying to imagine going back and forth with all of the quarantine protocols and all of that, her even having uh, to go into a hospital to receive chemo was a big question mark. You know, do, do you even do that? Because are you going to survive? So, it, you know, it just was, it was amazing. Honestly, it was uh, a time where I got to reconnect with my family in a huge way. It's been so many years um, living this far away and not having a lot of time. So it was very special for me. It was, I was extremely proud of this team and Brooke and what they were able to do. You only, only power five team in the state of Florida to go to the NCAA tournament. So that, that part was fantastic. And I will say lastly, that being out on the road recruiting this last week, I heard so many stories about how difficult this past year was and give me a, a much greater perspective on how hard it was for, for everyone involved. Sue, my, my youngest grandchild was born in June of last year. And so mom's in the hospital. Dad had to get special exemption to be in the room during the birth because mm. of the restrictions. And then my daughter, everything's fine. But a week later, she had to have an emergency appendectomy after giving mm. birth. And they wouldn't let him in. So she wow. had to spend those two days by herself. So I can only imagine treatments and things with your mom uh, about not knowing what to do and what not to do that had to be very very difficult time yeah I think it really hit home when uh, she was asking her doctor uh, what's it like to to die from COVID and what's it like to die from cancer and trying to make the choice of whether or not she should go for the treatments and uh, that was very sobering and uh, really helped me make a decision that was definitely the right thing to do. Sue, final question on this topic and, and we'll move on. Are there, uh, you know, COVID has dominated so much, but from a cancer awareness standpoint, is there any message you'd like to share uh, in terms of what, what type of cancer your mom was battling and what, what our listeners should know? Sure. I, I think, you know, you hear all the time about early detection and, you know, it's sometimes so hard to detect cancer early. And, you know, for my mom, it was, uh, just a fluke thing. She had had a shoulder surgery and fell. And, you know, she was in this sling. Well, they went and did an MRI to find if anything was wrong with her shoulder. And that's when they found the mass. She had ovarian cancer. And so it was, uh, yeah, again, I, you, there's so much great medicine out there when we can detect early. And um, that's the biggest key. Shift into basketball, Coach, and I'm curious the experience for you. The only thing I can relate it to in my life, uh, and, and Keith can weigh in, you know, when you're, when you're a player or you're a coach, you're in the action, so you can affect the outcome. The what I can relate to is, you know, now I'm a nervous parent watching my kids play, and I can't <laughs> do anything to affect the outcome. And I'm wondering, as you're in Seattle and you're watching your team play, is that like an out-of-body experience? Uh, I mean, what was, that, what was that like for you to deal with the stress that goes with that? It was an out-of-body experience. Yeah, I, it's one thing to watch other games and other coaches. Uh, it was another to watch our team and, and Brooke. And uh, the, the thing that really helped me in the process was I knew the minute I left, 
I couldn't have any of the players worrying about me, looking at me, thinking I was involved. It needed to be all about Brooke and, and her being the lead and, and every situation. And so that helped. It helped me. It helped Brooke. It helped the kids. And so when I was watching and I knew I couldn't have an effect, I wasn't going to call Brooke and say, hey, try this, try that. Uh, I'm not there every day. And <laughs> we always say that and think of that about the parents. You're not there every day. You don't know what they can and cannot do. And um, but Brooke did a fabulous job with a team where we lost three key players. And so I wasn't there every day. So watching her put that together and, you know, there were things that I felt like, ah, I wish they would do this better. You, you just don't know um, what they can learn, uh, how quickly they can learn. I tell you, it's a lot, a lot more fun to yell at the refs, though, at the TV because they don't turn around and look at you. So, <laughs> Well, and let's be fair. Our listeners need to, be, need to be aware that you were involved during the games because I recall one Mr. Tom Block mentioning a couple of tweets that he got or uh, direct messages <laughs> he got from you when you were watching one of the broadcasts. Oh gosh, that's so true. Boy, I, I had to find something, didn't I, Tom? <laughs> you did. And you know what? It's all good. What it what it conveyed, and I knew this was there, Sue. It just conveyed conveyed your passion for your program, mm -hmm. which you've always had. I mean, that's been a hallmark since you got here in the mid-90s uh and, and built this program into what it is. Um, you know, you're talking about Brooke. So she really was, has been part of your program build all along because she was in that first recruiting class. Then she played professionally, but she's been an assistant for you for a long time. Now she, she cut her teeth. I mean, she, the, the tag says interim, but in effect, she got to be a head coach for a year. How have you seen her grow, develop? What's different now that you're back with her in terms of just the way she sees the sport and, and what you do now? Well, it's really been fun to work with her again. Uh, certainly she could have gone to many other programs in the country uh, and just making that decision to, to come back and complement each other for another year where she didn't do the things that a head coach has to do off of the court during a COVID year. So there's a lot of CEO type responsibilities that, I can now really coach her through. And then the other side of it was uh, for me, you know, being able to learn how to be um, a little more present in my situation. I think I've learned, you know, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, you know, you're never, you're never satisfied, but there's a certain contentment that I think I bring back to the program now that, I think will benefit not only the, the young ladies that we work with, not only the staff, but the, the community of Tallahassee. Sue, is it fair? Uh, I mean, it, it was for a very personal and a very uh, real reason, but is it fair to make the statement that this is kind of like a sabbatical that, that normally coaches don't ever get a chance to do unless they get fired? And, right, right. You know, you, you're a little more invigorated because you've been able to decompress a little. You know, I, I, um, I wouldn't call it a sabbatical. I, because it was so intense and right, you, you, right. I couldn't get out and do anything else. A sabbatical, I could go and I could maybe watch other people and practice and those types of things. But with COVID, I couldn't even go out to a restaurant. So 
I, I do think that a sabbatical would be an absolutely amazing opportunity for any coach. And I wish more of us uh, could do that and give those associate head coaches an opportunity to step into it. I, I was really grateful for, to Florida State for that opportunity because the one thing I could do was work on me. I wasn't really going to sit there and work on basketball. And I was working on my mom. I was working with my family, uh, but I could work on me. And that was a a really important step in where I am in my life right now. We're talking with head coach Sue Semrau. Coach, let's get into the, the, you know, the NCAA landscape has changed quite a bit over the last few years. And uh, I don't know if these two words, Uh, give you a headache or make you excited but transfer portal first of all and I know you're somebody who you've had success bringing in some transfers but that was prior to the transfer portal so how is this affecting your world right now both in terms of players coming you know players going out players coming in just having to re-recruit current players the the whole mess that it is (laughs) yeah it's interesting because I think we are in a generation right now of student athlete empowerment and and that's okay. I think if we can embrace that and it doesn't change who I am, it doesn't change the way that we do business. Uh, I think every other people don't know that every other sport besides football and men's basketball had the opportunity to have a one-time transfer where you played immediately. And so what was different about these sports uh, the same is is happening, you know, with the the name image likeness that I'm sure you're going to bring up next. It's it is something I, I, I liken it to when recruiting rules changed with a cell phone. So we it used to be that we could call a player once a week. Then all of a sudden there was a cell phone and you could text them once a week. And how do you monitor that? I'm not sure. But then the day that they said, oh. We're not going to do the once a week. We're going to open, open it up. And you, once the bell hits that you can contact a junior, you can contact them as much as, or as little as you want. And we were all like, oh, you got to be kidding me. No, this is going to be crazy. Well, it turned out to be a great thing. And so I think right now we're all saying the same thing. Ah, oh, this is going to be crazy. And it could be really a good thing. Sue, we have determined, Tom and I, on prior conversations, that if I was still able to play ball, that I could, uh, I could probably make $15 an hour with one of those uh, whirly bird uh, pointer things on the corner of Monroe, <laughs> Tennessee, and throwing them over my head and turning them in circles. And that would be about the extent of my NIL uh, <laughs> endorsements and compensation. Well, you didn't have a cell phone and a, and a following and all of those things. And we're, we're all being very educated. Now I'll tell you what, I think both of you would have made millions because of uh, your personalities uh, on social media, but it's uh, it is, it's, it's really interesting. It's uh, it's educational for all of us uh, and it will continue to evolve. Uh, You know, there's a, a basketball female basketball players that are twins out at Fresno state. And they did a, a TikTok video that went viral and they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars right now. And you just never know in this day and age of information technology, uh, if you're going to maybe do something that people love. 
Coach Sue, you must have been looking at my notes because right next to the transfer portal, I had I had written NIL, so you knew it was coming. I, uh, to your to your point about those twins and and making six figures, uh, that'll come for for some Florida State student athletes. I have no question, but I think there's been a lot of conversation leading up to this. You know, while we're focused on the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, what is this going to do for some of, uh, especially women athletes? but non-revenue sports, there, there's a lot of potential there. Is there anything imminent or that you can share in terms of, of, of what's in the pipeline for some of your players? And I know you have to be at arm's length, but I'm assuming right. there's some opportunities coming. Well, you know, we've had uh, different people reach out to our players. They usually reach out via Instagram and those types of things. And, and honestly, my biggest concern and my, my, my goal in this is to protect them from bad actors. I mean, if you've got a daughter and all of a sudden she's getting uh, notified on Instagram, if, if she'll post this, then I'll send you a check and mail me your, or send me your address. No way. <laughs> I'm not gonna, uh, you know, there's no way I'm gonna let them do those things because somebody shows up at your door and that's not a good thing. So it's, for me, it's, uh, you know, being aware and reading and looking for opportunities for them. And it's, a, and for the ones that want to, it's work, you know, it's not like, Oh, well, you're just going to show up and no, you have to create a following. You have to create a brand. Some people want to follow the starting quarterback and those things, but uh, you know, even, even our quarterback here has done a good job getting out and, and getting the publicity so that he will have those kinds of opportunities. Sue, what are your ladies doing this time of year? Update our, our listeners on what their week looks like uh, as you prepare to get ready for preseason camp. Yeah, you know what's really cool is that basketball is a sport where we get to do eight weeks of workouts with them. Now we only get four hours a week on the court, which is nice because now they can really get some downtime. They can uh, take some classes and and have a summer. At the same time, we can hone their skills. The freshmen now have arrived. Now they are being integrated into the team uh, because we have recruiting in the month of July. We bring all of the players in at the same time and we go for an hour about four times a week. And uh, we're really right now just bringing our culture, bringing our attitude. How do we work? How do we take care of each other? Those types of things. We're not really installing offenses and doing that, but we're teaching them going back to fundamentals. Coach, we'll wrap up, but I want to give you a chance to, to share what you'd like to about two of your former players who are on the Spanish Olympic team and Maria Conde and Leonor Rodriguez. Uh, I think it's first time for Maria, but Rodriguez helped Spain to a, to a silver, if memory serves in 2016 that's that's a tremendous opportunity and experience to, to represent your country unbelievable you know i remember when both leo and letty uh, were on the olympic team uh, in rio uh, and i got a chance to go to brazil and to watch them compete in the olympic games i mean it was just a, an unreal thing and so now to have leo return wow i mean that's a career that has been very exciting. And Maria, who is so young, uh, being able to to be a part of that team and an integral part of that team. I just wish I could go to Tokyo. I, you know, when they said that the they were going to limit the fans, um, 
that went off the table, but been in contact with them. So proud, uh, just excited about, about what they're able to do. And yeah, I, I think about how Leo played with Natasha Howard and what Natasha has been able to do. She's been injured as of late, but you know, her becoming the highest paid player on the New York Liberty, uh, you know, and just winning three championships already in her, in her career as a WNBA player. So just really excited about what they've, these players have been able to do and who they've become. Coach, we're really excited that you're back and sounds like better than ever. So uh, congratulations. Uh, and the best news, of course, is your mom is doing well, but uh, welcome back. Welcome home. Well, thank you. And and just glad that we're all still in this together. You guys hang in there. All right. All right. Thanks, Coach. coach. Take care, Coach. We'll step aside, come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, thank you Coach Sue for joining us. Good to have her energy and enthusiasm and passion back on campus at Florida State. Good to have Bob Ferrante with us, our Osceola Insider, as we keep the Earl Bacon Agency hotline open. Bob, how are you, sir? Doing well, guys. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Football is creeping closer. Next week, ACC kickoff. And for the last two Wednesdays, Florida State has made several of the newcomers available to the media. And that happened again today with, I think, five or six, including Dylan Gibbons, who we had on the show last week. Any key takeaways from the first go-round? And these were Zoom interviews, I should point out, for our listeners' sake. But uh, any key takeaways from the discussions today? It's fun to get to know the personalities. It's kind of an early glimpse into you know who they are and what they've done this summer. And obviously, it's it spent a lot of time in the weight room. You know, we, We've seen guys, um, I think, build camaraderie and chemistry, add some strength, have with a lot of these guys, weekly meetings with nutritionists to, to kind of know what to eat, what not to eat. Um, these are positives moving into the season. And I think that's a storyline really is something that Florida State didn't have at this time last year. You know, in the middle of COVID, you really couldn't have as many guys working together, but, but now you can. That's, that's a huge positive for this program, I think, uh, for Coach Norvell going into year two. And, and also, you know, I have to say to to confirm the interview you guys had with Dylan Gibbons last week, uh, Dylan held court, I think, for almost 20 minutes this morning and a, a phenomenal interview, just a, a incredible young man and what he's doing. Um, just, you know, want to see more guys do that with uh, NIL down the road. With all the conversation and a lot of negativity from me about the transfer portal, that is one of the positives you get when you've got kids that already have a year or two or three of college experience. And so I would think the overall maturity and, and understanding of work ethic and, you know, keeping your nose clean and out of trouble, uh, you know, as a, as a scale and as a score for the entire squad should be a little higher. What do you think? Right. I mean, you go to the portal, I, I think, to, to fill needs, to kind of patch up some things for a year or so. In, in Dylan Gibbons' case, he, he could be here two years. Um, as he's pursuing his MBA. And so, you know, for on offense, for example, we could see them starting six 
transfers, grad transfer types between, you know, Mackenzie Milton and, and Jay Sean Corbin, Gibbons and Love Taylor, uh, you know, Parchment, Jordan Wilson, the tight end. That's more than, than half of your, your offensive starters. So it brings you immediate uh, leadership, veteran experience, been there, kind of done that, maybe not with the guy next to you. And that's where chemistry has got to be built in these player run practices this spring and then through the, the August camp. But it, it, it's great to kind of hit the portal when you're in Mike Norvell's position where you, you've got to rebuild and, and kind of get that energy and enthusiasm for the future. Speaking of transfers, Bob, your thoughts on the fact that it's three transfer players that are going to go to ACC kickoff next week. Now, granted, Jordan Travis feels like he's been here, but he transferred in before Norvell. Or are we overanalyzing this and really Coach Norvell just picked three guys who are going to be important to the fabric of this football team this year? You know, it's an interesting point. I, I think some people are wondering, well, is it better to bring a guy who's been on campus three, four years I think also the media isn't going to be asking players about what has happened in the past so much. You know, Jordan will kind of feel those he's been here, but it's good for the media to be throwing out questions about the future, about what's happened in the off season so that guys aren't getting all those questions about three and six and and what's happened in, in prior seasons. You know, to Norvell's credit, I, I think he picked three really good representatives for the university um, he decided not to pick one quarterback and, and bringing two that, you know, I think we all think are going to be one and two in that quarterback competition. It's going to be great to talk to those guys and, and candidly talk to them face to face and not over Zoom. So the skeptic or cynic in me, Bob, says, why in the world are we excited about somebody who's transferring in from Alabama A&M? which maybe speaks to where the program is. On the other hand, when you read a little bit about this defensive end transfer and Marcus Cushney, who's from the state of Florida and has a couple of former high school teammates on the FSU team, the sense is that maybe he could actually help the team. What's your takeaway uh, based on what, what Pat and others have, have seen on, on Cushney? Yeah, I think, I think Pat's had a chance to dive a little bit deeper on the film and we have to take it with a grain of salt. He has played FCS schools. It's a big jump from FCS to then group of five to then power five. So let's take it as such. But if, if you can pass rush, if you are athletic and, and can move well, um, I, I think this, this, this guy can bring it. Um, can he be a, a two-year guy potentially um, and not just a one-year guy? That's going to be a kind of a question moving forward too. Um, yeah, I mean, traditionally, you, you would say, well, why would Florida State want a, an NFCS transfer? But I think we've seen the last two years, the answer is quite obvious. Since Brian Burns left, there just hasn't been enough pressure. Um, again, not just sacks. It, it's got to be some amount of pressure to, um, to make the quarterback make some bad throws, potentially toss an interception, you know, fumble, whatnot. Um, that kind of pressure helps out the big picture, helps out the guys in the secondary. It, it makes you better. If you're not good up front, you're, you're really not good on defense. And, and I think Coach Norvell has just analyzed the roster quite well, along with Coach Fuller, and they've decided, you know, pass rush is a spot where Florida State absolutely must get better. I think they've done that a little bit too with, uh, with the 2021 signing class. The only question there being, are those guys – quite ready 
you know, after August to, to jump in and, and start. And maybe they won't, you know, maybe those freshmen are more of a mid-season, let's get them in the mix type. But I, I think, I think Florida State has to improve in the pass rush. And, and, and this is a move that, that can definitely do it. Changing gears a little bit, Bob, we just completed the uh, uh, baseball draft. Uh, 20 rounds was it this year? A number of Seminoles represented. I know you've talked with me. Um, talk about the draft and, and what's going on uh, with Florida State baseball. You know, I think the draft was was really good for a lot of players. You know, you saw Matthew Nelson really commit to um, to reshaping his body and, and being a professional in the mindset every day so that he was drafted. He said he wanted to be a first-round draft pick, and, and technically he was in a compensatory round just outside that first round, but he, he's going to make a nice paycheck to, um, to go play pro ball. Um, I also say, you know, Elijah Cabell is a, a nice kind of late round risk by the Cardinals, 18th round, I believe. Um, you're going to have to live with those strikeouts, but he's going to be a guy who has that, uh, that 80 power. On the scouting scale, 80 power is, is major league power. So he's a guy who can do it. If, if he can kind of cut back on those strikeouts, that's a great late round pickup. Really the, the big story, I think, over these next couple weeks, uh, Mike Martin Jr. is going to be watching the free agent signees. You've got till August 1, if you were undrafted, to, uh, to sign with a major league team. The good news is for college baseball is that that's capped at $20,000 per player. So you cannot come up with $50,000, $100,000, some big sum. Um, you're, you're limited to a smaller amount. I think that's a, a huge positive for college baseball. Also, if you look at guys like uh, like Logan Lacey, who kind of just broke out late in the year, third baseman, it's a premium position. Um, does he take twenty thousand, or or does he decide to stay in Tallahassee, in his hometown, and play for Florida State? So, some definite positives there. But really, we won't know how the picture kind of unfolds for baseball. Uh, for the next couple of weeks to August 1 deadline. The big picture takeaway, Bob, is that with seven players picked over 20 rounds, that's the most FSU's had drafted in, in 20 rounds since 1995. So while the product on the field is not where baseball fans want, I think you can see that Meat and his staff, and we've known this, but they can certainly recruit. And particularly with the pitchers, it's noticeable. You get more power arms, you're going to get some more draft picks in there. And that's, that's reflected in this draft they're identifying talent. And I think that's, that's what's key. I mean, we can, we can lament what didn't unfold in terms of wins and losses and, and, and the batting average as a team wasn't there, but I'll tell you, whenever Matthew Nelson was at the plate, you were kind of on the edge of your seat. You weren't going to go to the concession stand. Um, you know, when Robbie Martin was at the plate, you thought, Hey, if somebody's in scoring position, he's got a good chance to drive somebody in, uh, you know, mentioned Logan Lacey, just how good he was in, in May and June. They, they had a lot of pieces there. And um, I, I think, yeah, there, there are some question marks. Mike Martin Jr. Is, is trying to reshape this roster. He wants to see more speed, more athleticism. Um, a guy like Isaiah, Isaiah Perry, we saw a little bit um, out in center field, is a guy who can bring a lot of speed to the outfield. And he could, he could be somewhere in the order as a guy who can, um, you know, leg out those, those kind of weak grounders or, or steal a base. I think you're, you're looking for guys with some true speed who puts, uh, put some pressure on the pitcher, put some pressure on the catcher to, uh, to throw some runners out. 
so they're they're very much kind of trying to reshape who they are, what they are, and um, and, and again from a pitching standpoint. I don't know if this was the best pitching staff in 2021 that I've seen in quite some time, but it was why you kind of went to the ballpark. You got to see some, some power arms, some, some good arms out of the bullpen. And, um, and yeah, they're, they're identifying guys and they're getting guys to come to campus and, and pass up on the major league baseball draft too. What I'm going to be excited about is, is meet and his staff having the opportunity for the kids to participate in summer ball and then come back and do organized activities and fall ball and not have to just sit on their hands for seven or eight months and then show up in January and try to make a season. Yeah, that was a big storyline last summer is there was no Cape Cod League. So a lot of guys were, were trying to play at, at some, some leagues around the state of Florida and, and, and not knocking that because those are high quality leagues. But I don't think anything matches what the Cape Cod League has, has put out uh, year in and year out. It's a wood bat league, very competitive. It's, it's a lot of college all-star teams, you know, truly playing almost every day up there. Mike Martin Jr. wants that. He wants college baseball players to be playing every single day. Uh, yes, build in some rest here and there, listen to your body and, and know when you got to take a day off, but he wants to see that repetition and, and so, yeah, moving forward, that's what makes you better is that year-round play. Then you get into fall ball, uh, your strength and conditioning, and, and kind of then ramp up for, for next season. Bob, I don't know if you asked Meet about this. Either way, it's a heck of a conversation point for John Nagowski, who's been a minor league journeyman until the last year or so. He was two for 22 in 20 career games in the bigs until the Pirates acquired him last week. And in the seven games with Pittsburgh, he's 14 for 28 with five runs driven in. And no matter where the career goes from here, that's one hell of a week. Yeah, um, you know, I have, have special feelings about John and the family. I worked with, uh, with John's dad at the Tallahassee Democrat and, and knew John Jr. when he was four or five years old coming to the newsroom and kind of running around. So it's, uh, it, it's good memories of the family and kind of getting to see uh, John Jr. play at, at Florida State. I, I didn't know, I don't know if he was going to stick it out in the minors this long, to, to be quite honest. And he did so. He, he kind of persevered through it. And, and it's a great story of, of for love of the game. I, I think we kind of at, at times hate that cliche. And, and there was a movie made about it. But when you truly love the game, you're willing to commit to it. As John did, he stuck it out. And, and the Cardinals traded him. It could have been another opportunity where he said, well, I, I don't know if I want to do this, but he, he obviously uh, is in love with it. And he's found a good situation in Pittsburgh where I think they've had some injuries at first base through the year and were just desperate for somebody who could be productive. And, you know, his, his enthusiasm, he's jumped right in there and, and just, just done it for the Pirates. So it's, it's awesome for him. You talk about hanging on and being patient. Keith, you'll appreciate this because I looked it up. You can – you can do everything with Google, but you can see what guys' professional contracts are, right? So if you look at Nagowski, who was a – he was a 34th-round pick of the A's in the 2014 draft. So this – what I found just reflects major league dollars. So he got a $100,000 signing bonus in 2014. And then next to 2015, 16, 17, 18, and 19, there's no figure because he was in the minors. Now, you get paid very little to play depending on the levels there. Then 2020, when he was up with the Cardinals, he got 12 grand for that appearance, however many games it was. 
This year, his contract, and this was signed before the year based on, I guess, how long he's been playing or having major league experience, 571K for this year alone. And that's before he went 14 for 28. So I don't know what that means for another year. But the point is, he, he's been very patient and he's finally getting rewarded for it. And, and we look at those dollars and those are big dollars, but those are peanut dollars to what he might can earn if he becomes a regular. So that's uh, that's very good news. I just thought it was, but the, the bigger picture is that five or six year run where you're making 1500 a month or, or whatever it is. And you're, you're staying in days in with three of your teammates and you're on buses. I mean, you have to love baseball to do what Nagowski's done. So good for him. Hey, Bob, we'll finish up on this. And we had CY from the basketball program, uh, Charlton Young on a few weeks ago. And Keith, he talked about how every year Florida state disrespects FSU based on what they've lost. And we're like six years into it. So now here's another year where FSU lost some key guys like like Raekwon Gray, Scotty Barnes. Got a lot of good pieces coming in, but is the media going to disrespect? And I, I saw where ESPN's bracketology updated to reflect who stayed in the NBA draft and who pulled out around the country. They actually have FSU as a five seed, which means they've got them as a preseason top 20. So does this mean that finally some national media are giving FSU respect going into the season? What do you think, Bob? I think sports writers are, are uh, sluggish to learn their lessons and how often they can be wrong before they actually make a correction. I, yeah, with you, I, I've seen Florida State, I think, in the top 15 in a couple of those, you know, way too early preseason type of polls. I, I Honestly, I feel like this is a good blend of, of various groups of guys, holdovers, uh, freshmen, a couple transfers. Very curious about the, the Houston transfer, Caleb Mills. You know, what, what does he bring at guard? You've got a real stabilizing presence in Anthony Polite, a, a big leader in Malik Osborne, a high-energy guy. Um, and I believe they have four seven-footers. So when you've got just that kind of blend, it, it's really about pulling the pieces together and coaching and, and development. That's what this staff does. It's not just uh, recruit and identify the talent. It's coaching and development. So, so again, now not with a uh, – a shortened COVID practice schedule where you can only have two guys on the court like they did last summer at times. Now you can, you've got some limitations because of those NCAA rules, but at some point it's going to open up and you can have everybody out there. And, and that's where this coaching staff, I think really will, will excel in, in kind of putting the pieces together. Bob Frante from the Osceola, our Florida state insider. Hey Bob, uh, tell Pat and fish, by the way, that front row Knowles, has entered the transfer portal and decision day is August 4th. Now the good news is we're planning to bring the Osceola wherever we transfer to, but we're still figuring out the logistics on that. So I uh, know the decision day is coming. And uh, when it comes, Pat and fish can do a segment to grade the tape and, and see what the new place is getting. Okay. We, we, first of all, we respect the decision. We want to see more than just the huddle highlights because the, the huddle can hide some deficiencies. We need to see, you know, some real full game film from you guys, but uh, looking forward to what's in the future for, uh, for the show. And we're happy to be on board. I think if listeners have, uh, are still listening to the show, they're well aware that there is very little editing. And by very little, I mean none. So this is actual game tape every week for an hour, Bob. There is no policy. I was going to say, th this is it. This is it. <laughs> this is the highlight reel. <laughs> This is not picking out just our pancake blocks or interceptions, Bob. This is everything we got, good and bad. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Take care.
Oh, Bob Francie from the Osceola. Keith, we'll step aside and uh, wrap up this week's show. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Time to finish up on Front Row Knowles, Keith. For July, a lot to talk talk about on the Florida State front here. It was good to connect with Coach Sue and plenty going on in the football world too you know we've talked all along about the changing landscape and you know the heavy recruiting that occurred in june and uh the camps uh that uh normally are are in may uh they got pushed back to june and now we're in a dead period and and so yeah the changing landscape has given us a little more to talk about the overriding thing that we continue to find ourselves doing and i'm sure our listeners are doing it as well is just getting excited about the season getting started. And, of course, uh, when you do that, everybody's undefeated and everybody's going to play for the national championship. So we all start from the same spot. I meant to ask Bob about this, and I forgot, but there was behind-the-scenes news this week because Florida State football hired Kenyatta Watson as director of player relations. And, Keith, you'll appreciate this. The conversation has moved over the last five years. So you remember a few years ago, maybe a couple of years ago, it was all about facilities. How can Florida State keep up with Alabama and their hot tubs that are gold-plated? And, and then we had this period of time, well, Alabama and Clemson have 42 analysts apiece. How can FSU keep up with that? Right now that focus is on, well, how's Florida State going to keep up with the NIL from schools like Miami that are in big cities where people have deep pockets? But anyway, here's what I want to point out, point out Keith. Regarding analysts, I actually looked at the Florida State at Seminoles.com today. So. With the addition of Kenyatta Watson, who's well-connected in the state of Georgia, former BC offensive lineman, and if you follow recruiting deeply, a, a good hire by Mike Norvell. Florida State now has a director of player relations, a director of player personnel, a director of high school relations, a coordinator of player engagement, a director of player development and operations, and that doesn't count seven analysts, four GAs, and a plethora who are associated with recruiting, including people who handle video and digital content and all that sorts of thing. So the point is, while the argument has changed as to where Florida State needs to keep up, I don't think we need to worry about whether they're keeping up behind the scenes. They appear to have a pretty full roster. I read an article this morning. I will will not name the school uh, just for the sake of we don't need to make the comparison. But they were talking about either last weekend or the weekend before, they had 53 unofficial visitors on campus. And they had a staff of 10, 11 counting the director, that were responsible for meeting the needs of these 53 kids. Even though they're not on official visits, they're still allowed to do certain things with them and just coordinating and herding, no, no pun intended, the 53 people in the right direction at the right time to do the right things and stay away from the wrong things. Can you imagine? Well, that's what all these people do behind the scenes. 
it's just that and coach sue reminded us of it you know we thought the world was ending when all of a sudden you could text prospects as often as you wanted and as she pointed out the world didn't end so we'll get through nil too and we've made it through this this era of which institutions have the better analyst to player ratio it, you know florida state's got enough help behind the scenes is my point yep and uh once they get started on the new operations center and some updates you know, you'll catch up on the, the facility side as well. Um, but I'm, I'm excited. I, I think, and again, it's the time of the year. We all do. But uh, Mike has a very good plan. Maybe the plan doesn't work, but it won't be for lack of effort. It won't be for lack of organization. There's no question. Speaking of playing catch up, and about every six weeks, I probably bring this up, Keith, but I'll do it again because it's going to be a topic next week at the ACC kickoff. And I'm not suggesting that there will be news about this. But we all know the ACC Network, which debuted a couple of years ago and still doesn't have a deal with Comcast as we talk. And Comcast is a big fish that would bring a lot more dollars in. I'll remind our listeners that Comcast's deal with ESPN slash Disney for all of the properties, ESPN, ESPN2, uh, SEC Network, Disney Channel, all this stuff, that expires at the end of this calendar year. So those negotiations are ongoing between Disney and Comcast so that there's carriage arrangements in place because Comcast does not want to lose ESPN and all those other things I just named. So I'm 100% confident in saying that the ACC network is going to get a deal done with Comcast. The question is, does it take until January 1st to roll it out there? Or, and they're trying to, to get something done so that the start of football season, the midpoint of football season, as soon as possible, there's actually a carriage deal. So it is coming. I don't know when, but you can believe the commissioner when he makes his first state of the ACC address next week in Charlotte, this will be part of that topic, part of his talk. And, and, and you know, the continuing widening gap of, of money uh, and closing that gap, you know, obviously puts an extended amount of pressure on the league and, and to get something done. Because uh, I know uh, the ADs are, are, you know, scratching their head when they look at their counterparts at the SEC and the Big Ten, Big 12, not necessarily the Pac-12, Pac but, you know, those paychecks, no pun intended, those paychecks need to get a little bigger. So more to come on that, but there should be a carriage deal here in the next few months. Hopefully it'd be nice if we get it done before football season. We'll see where that lies. Very much so, very much so. Speaking of football season, Vegas has spoken, and they have Notre Dame a nine-and-a-half-point favorite in that opener against Florida State. Keith, what, what think you? Uh, I, would, I would say, based on the disrespect that uh, Florida State has uh, endured over the last three or four years, that might be a little low. I would have anticipated possibly being higher, to be frank. So you like it. You think that's a sign, then, that, that people are noticing Florida State? And Mike Maybe Norman. a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Let's hope so. Well... We've got the whole month of August to analyze and look forward to that game, Keith. But broadly speaking, and this is obvious for our listeners, it's been a long time since Florida State has gotten the season out to a good start. And I don't just mean the first game, but I mean the month of September. And, and even if you don't beat Notre Dame, you've got an opportunity to be in plus territory as you make the turn to October, so to speak. But, boy, a win over Notre Dame would do so much for Mike Norvell and the fan base and this program in general if somehow Florida State can get that done. Keith appears to have been frozen as I look at my Zoom screen. Well, the circumstance – are you, are you able to hear me? I am. 
fire away. I was simply going to say that no one expected Florida State to beat North Carolina last year. I know North Carolina isn't Notre Dame, but it has happened at least once under the Norvell regime, even though that regime is only one year old. Upsets are allowed to happen. They happen every week in college football. It's okay for Florida State to do that. All right, Keith, we are out of time. Enjoyed it as always. Decision Day looms, folks. We'll keep you uh, updated on what you need to know so you can follow us once we make it out of the transfer portal. But uh, for now, same place, same time next week. Keith, I'll catch up with you then. Thank you, Tommy. Have a good one, everybody. This is Front Row Knowles.